From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. I thought our father had a pretty good opportunity to grow old in his own home. Now, I'm not so sure. That's Laura Ziegler. She's a reporter at KCUR and the mother of three grown kids. She raised her own family in the house where she grew up, and they all lived with her dad. At first, I felt like it was the best of all possible worlds. On this episode, Laura looks back at what the experience of bringing everyone together under one roof really meant, and still means, not just to her, but to families like hers, now that more people are clustering together rather than going it alone. Of corn that is popping and singers do whopping. So whether it's dangerous, dull, or superb, each sentence you see simply must have a verb. That's my dad reading to his grandchildren, my kids, when they were toddlers. They nestled on either side of him, wearing their footy PJs and holding their stuffed animals, just like my sisters and I used to do decades ago. So what is a verb? Swim, right? Sing. What are you doing now, Julia? That's a verb. Not only did Dad read to us, he made up stories. One was an ongoing saga about the adventures of an elephant, a butterfly, and a box elder bug. Their names were Fifi, Bobo, and Joe. Bobo was an elephant, and when Bobo was in the jungle, he met Fifi, who was a beautiful orange and black butterfly. He continued the story with his grandchildren. Spellbound, in the same way my sisters and I were, my kids would hang on every word as my father textured the tale with details from his vast knowledge of nature and his own vivid imagination. She got quite angry and said, what are you doing? Oh, he said, pardon me, who are you? And she said, well, I'm Fifi and I live here too. So he said, well, you can stay on my back and we'll... Um, we'll explore through the jungle and see what we find. My father was a larger-than-life Renaissance man. He studied English and literature in college, but then went on to become a neurologist and chaired the neurology department at the University of Kansas Medical Center for more than two decades. Teaching was in his DNA. But it was my mom, his wife for 40 years, who really allowed him the freedom to accomplish as much as he did. When she died after a year-long battle with cancer, He was traumatized. It shouldn't have come as a surprise when he suggested we move into the family home and live with him. I was ambivalent, but we talked about it and decided to do it anyway. There were a lot of benefits. For example, my dad, passionate about family history, had a wall of archival photographs and clippings outside his bedroom. I loved hearing him teach the kids about their ancestors, providing the comfort and generational continuity. Here's my dad with our son, Ben, then about nine years old. Now, you know who that is? Yep. Jacob Ziegler was your grandpa. To you? Yeah, it was. He's my great-great-grandpa. Your great-great-grandfather. So these early years, they were mostly really good. We did have our moments. Dad would sometimes yell at the kids when they wouldn't eat their dinner. He couldn't understand why my husband raked the leaves in the fall. And once my husband left for work, he'd retrieve the leaf-packed bags and dump them on the flower beds. 
But it got harder as Dad got older. He got more and more depressed. I thought maybe the depression was inevitable. After all, he'd lost his wife for 40 years. He was losing friends. But he had us. I recently called Dr. Gary Kennedy to get some insight. He's the director of the Division of Geriatric Psychiatry at Montefiore Hospital in New York. The best-case scenario is what your father experienced. Mm-hmm. Here's an educated man who was physically active, socially engaged, lived with his family. That's the ideal. It turns out depression isn't at all inevitable among the aging. Kennedy says research shows that only about 30% of the aging population actually suffer from clinical depression. So I asked him what's the difference between those who get depressed and those who don't. The easiest to define and identify difference is uh, physical illness. Mm -hmm. It's that physical disabling issue that probably is number one in late life associated with depression. This explains a lot. My dad suffered from congestive heart failure. It got worse and worse, and toward his late 80s, he was almost always short of breath. Dad's depression, Kennedy says, could have very well been biochemical. The brain changes that are associated with cardiovascular disease, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, arrhythmias, or uh, arteriosclerotic disease, all are associated with depression and they can interfere with a person's capacity to recover. That was definitely true for my father. On top of being short of breath, he fell a number of times. Pain medicine made him confused, and heart medicine damaged his kidneys. His body became a fragile ecosystem of failing parts. But his mind stayed sharp. Here's some of what that looked like. After one particularly bad fall, he was in rehab for months. During that time, his driver's license expired. He tried to renew it and failed the test. So without a license, he got his caregiver to practice with him on the road. It wasn't until he had an accident that he gave up the keys. Yards of plastic tubing throughout the house allowed my dad to wander around while attached to the oxygen. He loved, for example, to sit in his greenhouse on sunny winter days. But that feeling of isolation consumed him. I began to wonder if we'd made a huge mistake. Would he have gotten remarried? Would he have been happier among peers if he weren't living with us? I called Phil Bolander, a clinical social worker at Wyandotte Center in Kansas City, Kansas, to ask what he sees among his elderly clients. What he said is the more human interaction, the more purpose they have in their lives, the better they do whether or not they have a physical disability. You can play cards, you can play checkers, you can be an audio reader person. There's all kinds of things that you can do that require no physical activity whatsoever, but you're having those connections with other people. Human beings need to feel like they're making a difference and they're contributing at any age. My dad desperately wanted those connections, that sense of purpose. But the betrayal of his body was relentless. He got frustrated. Sometimes he was just grumpy. My daughter had a room next to my dad's. When he'd crank up the heat to the 80s, she'd dial it down so she could study. When he turned up the volume on the TV in the middle of the night so he could hear it, she'd ask him to lower it. I'd hear about it all the next day. One night toward the end, I brought home the movie Departures about Japanese funeral rituals. When it was over, I asked Dad if he liked it. Well, I'd been thinking a lot about death, he said. I'd probably have chosen something a little bit lighter. And what are you thinking about? I mean, about death, I asked him. Three things, he said. And then in words that were just so my father, here's what he said. Are my affairs in order? Have I said everything I want to say to the important people in my life? And then, 
What happens at the moment you die? Is it as if the lights just go out? My father's innate joie de vivre, curiosity, and refusal to give in kept him with us longer than his body wanted to permit. He died on September 13th, 2012. His last words were, it's okay, I'm ready. I'll never know if we did the best thing for my dad or for my family. It was messy and it was often hard. I worried that I gave my children psychic scars. I demanded they spend time with their grandfather while subjecting them to the sometimes icky stuff of aging. But in the end, I felt like we modeled something good, something many cultures take for granted, respect for the elderly and the value of family. I tell my kids today when they come home, Their grandfather is with us still. In the beauty of the spring flowers, the birds that flock to the feeder, and at our dinner table conversations as we discuss everything under the sun. Thanks to Laura Ziegler for telling her story. This episode of Midwesternish was produced by Matt Hodap. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor. This is our last episode for season one of Midwesternish. We're going to take a break and work on some great new stories for season two. So stay subscribed to this podcast on NPR One or wherever you do that. I also host a show on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR 89.3. The show's called Central Standard. Head to kcur.org if you want to check it out. I'm Gina Kaufman.